1: Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friend's still laugh at me to this day.
2: Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn,
0: the place to be to be. This episode of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad is brought to you by Critio, Critio is creating an open internet where you can choose what's best for you and future you. Learn more at critio.com slash future. That's crite dot slash future.
2: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, Everything is an ad. Uh, and this week we've got a really special, we don't do a lot of interviews, I think partly because uh, from day one, like five years ago, I did not want this to be an interview podcast. Interview podcasts are fine, uh, but it, I don't know. I don't know. It puts you on this cycle of like having guests every week. And we just like chatting because we're a bunch of nerds who love ads. And so uh, speaking of nerds who love ads, Shannon Miller, creative and inclusion editor, co-host of the podcast. How are you doing? You fully recovered from the Super Bowl?
3: I don't think I'll ever fully recover from Super Bowl.
2: (laughs) Not emotionally, not spiritually. (laughs) What a daunting, daunting
3: experience. But I will get there uh, at some point. (laughs)
2: Well, um, we are so excited to have uh, two people who I think the world of, I think they've had a tremendous impact on this industry and have always been just uh, absolute lights uh, in the industry, uh, even before uh, a lot of the stuff we're going to get talking about. So with that, I'll just bring you on, introduce you formally here. We've got Steffi Berenger and Nate Nichols, who are the partners at the Palette Group and also the two co-founders of Allyship in Action, which has been a wonderful group, really kind of bringing together folks and voices from across the industry to talk about how we can be more inclusive and really advance this industry, especially over this past two years, uh, almost almost two years, yeah. Um, so welcome, uh, Nate and Steffi. so great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate that. We we decided to sleep in for the
4: Super Bowl. Not front.
1: <laughs>
4: we, we just like keep the big
2: like unsubscribe. We're just gonna get rest. Oh,
3: fair.
2: The uh, you missed some QR codes. Oh. You missed... Man, <laughs> now, what a shame! That is a what a shame! <laughs> uh, it was like 2008 all over again. I love, um, I love that for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, let's. Before we get it, I, I, we will probably spend quite a bit of time talking about Allyship in Action. But first, uh, tell me about your background as partners uh, and how Palette Group came together. Uh, and because I, I believe Palette Group had predated Allyship in Action, right? So, so just tell us a bit about how how you two came together and how you started the agency. For sure, thank you. And I just want to make sure we clarify: we
4: do have two other co-founders with Allyship in Action, Amy. Rodbeck and uh, Bennett Bennett. And so I just wanted to get that up there. Up.
2: We've already had Bennett on the podcast. Uh, he not get that yes. Regular, <laughs> We love Bennett. Um, That's awesome.
4: So yeah, Pallet Group. Wow. Uh, to start with Pallet Group, uh, Pallet Group is actually a 10-year-old company. Uh, 10 years ago, it was founded by two other gentlemen who founded it. And I jumped aboard in 2012, this coming April, actually. And uh, I was a recent college grad and I had just wrapped my first contract out of college on a big multi-million dollar project with Hyundai. It was a five million dollar campaign with the Hyundai veloster. Uh, They're doing activations all around the nation and my brain was just blown away at all the different nuance and facets and aspects of how advertising can encapsulate culture and you know deploy experiences and content that encapsulate culture very very intentionally and very special. Uh, and so I was tapped to manage uh, their uh, social presence, so Hyundai social presence. So I'd be in a coffee shop in Philadelphia, you know, live tweeting. Uh, and ironically enough, during that period, I was homeless, living in a warehouse, uh, building this other, these people's company and this agency. And two years in, Uh, I think the second year we had a quarter million dollar revenue um, from me driving new business as well as managing and designing a team out of a co-working space of 11 contractors that I had hired um, and managed and led for a minute. And I just realized that in that two year period, nothing felt really aligned with who I was. I didn't even I didn't feel like I belonged at that company that I was helping build. I didn't feel like I mattered at that company that I was helping build. And I quickly realized that, you know, what, what was going to be a space and place for belonging and mattering was something that, you know, had to come from a different person or uh, ethos and value set. And so um, two and a half years in into running that agency, I decided to found Palette Group with another individual. And I'm doing that, running it for two and a half years, scaling it with Brands like Chevrolet, um, Cora Woman, which is a tech startup that does uh, organic tampons nationally. And we just had a lot of fun doing digital content um, for social and uh, doing digital. So we managed our, our clients' accounts, and it was a perfect opportunity for us to be like, okay, great, if we're going to land in this space and one day do a Super Bowl ad, you know, we need to figure out how to produce content uh, for brands and develop systems and streamline processes and ensure people feel like they belong and matter as they do it. And so Palo Group was birthed in with that vision. And about two and a half years in, uh, we, you know, hit a weird, like tripped up as a leader and wound up in a very toxic space and place as a leader that I enabled. And you know, at that space in place, I did uh, some reflecting. And along that period, Steffi and I started to date uh, and things got very serious. And I'll tag her in the ring to sort of uh, express how <laughs> things shifted gears from there.
5: Yeah. Meanwhile, um, I, so I'm born and raised in Germany. Um, I graduated from college, uh, worked at BMW and MINI in Munich uh, for a while before I met my former American boss who brought me over to the States in 2014. So that was eight years ago. And um, I was working in the corporate world and marketing after sales for BMW. Um, I founded and built a program for um, a retail design program for the dealership level to help them enhance and improve the customer experience, the customer journey within their dealerships. Um, and I was fortunate enough to build this program from scratch. I was able to found a team um, that we, you know, sort of positioned in, in each region in the States. So we covered the entire nation with 339 dealers. And I was doing that for four years. And that was around the time that we were dating. And also around the time where I just questioned a lot of my, you know, sort of like, dreams and goals and where I see myself um, going forward and that was a time where I decided then to quit the corporate world and uh, shift gears into a much more creative more dynamic industry um, which I you know sort of slid into the production experiential world Um, so I ended up being a freelancer for a while um, and just worked with a bunch of different agencies in New York on amazing projects um, with, you know, big brands like Under Armour, the NBA, Target, uh, the Googles, the YouTubes of the world, and got a lot of great experience building, you know, immersive experiences and um, events. And then we sort of decided to shift the offerings and the services of Pallet Group to purely um creative content and production. So um, from the digital background that Nate was describing, we really saw ourselves purely wanting to do just creative work. Um, And so now clients come to us for creative and production. And that is for anything that's photo and video related, but also events and experiential um, experiences in real life and virtually since the pandemic.
4: one small thing that I forgot to add that's super important is the shift from this old company to Pallet Group uh, was rooted in an acquisition. So at 25, you know, I acquired my first company and rebranded it into Pallet Group. Uh, and then that's amazing. When Steffi and I started dating, we moved to New York and I had to start from fresh again because the company was founded remotely and in Philadelphia. And so we had to start from scratch and build all over again. And that was 2019 into 20. And so that's when now I ship an action popped up.
2: Shannon, I don't know about you. I, I was like, uh, I, I think by 25, I was probably my third acquisition.
1: <laughs> what about you, Shannon? Like fourth,
2: fourth or fifth? Uh, no, wait, I haven't acquired any companies yet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was firmly in a cubicle. <laughs> very much planted there. So this is very much amazing to me. And I, I, I love... I think everyone sort of has like this deep understanding of what it's like to be situated at a a place that just does not fit all of who you are. And so it's really um, just galvanizing to sort of hear someone have that experience and just say, like, I need to remove myself or I need to do something different and pivot, which is really um, hard. And then to go from that into um, allyship and action, can you tell me a little bit about how that was formed and what? Um, you were trying to address with that effort?
5: So we actually started off during the pandemic. When the pandemic hit off, we sort of had this, you know, urge of um, helping and supporting our freelancer communities. Since the pilot, like the agency um, is mainly working with freelancers and creatives in this world. And when the pandemic hit, those were the sort of people that were cut off the conversation um, immediately, right? And we sort of felt um, the need of bridging the gap back to the industry and helping everyone to kind of figure this out. What is this? What we've sort of like got just like thrown in. And so we started to build a system um, for virtual productions and founded this first platform, which is called Freelancer Cyber Summit, which we also um, met uh, David um, through. He was one of our first guests to be on a panel in the virtual world. Um, And so we just had frank conversations about, you know, what does this mean for the freelancer community? Um, What does it mean for our finances? Um, The pandemic, all of our projects were cut. Um, And we hosted three of those events and uh, were able to gather an amazing community of creatives through that platform. And when May came around um, and George Floyd's murder happened, we again had this you know, moment right here on the flat where Nate and I, we just looked at each other and we again had this urge of like, we got to do something about this. And so the system that we built with Freelancer Cyber Summit, um, we took that and shifted it into allyship and action. Um, during the Freelancer Cyber Summit, we already were working with Bennett Ben Bennett Bennett um, on that platform. So he was part of the entire journey. And in May, uh, June, we met Amy, who came around as an amazing creative director who helped us build the brand of Alaship in Action. And so in May and June, then we hosted our first event on June 18th. We produced it in like a week and 2,500 people showed up. And um, yeah, we had... A crazy response and feedback. We in, invited the entire advertising industry, other industries, you know, to C-suite. Everyone uh, was welcomed and talked about what the fuck does that mean, right? All the companies, agencies, um, brands have posted their black squares, have posted their support to a lot of different initiatives, the Black Lives Matter movement. But what does that actually mean? And so that was the kickoff of LHB in action.
4: Because if you think about the idea of belonging and mattering, it's like at the core of palette groups, you know, ethos. It, it it's super important because we cared and wanted to know that our freelancer community felt that they mattered and that they belonged somewhere. They belonged in this industry. And so when people started posting black squares, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You know, I was fucking homeless on a five million dollar campaign sitting on a mattress with roaches running by me. Ain't no one give any shits about my lived experience on that $5 million campaign. What does these black squares mean? What do you mean? <laughs> then we have a right to know what you mean. And so that's what we call, sort of were committed to is ensuring that everyone had access and knew that they had the right to understand what accountability looked like in the organizations and in this industry.
2: Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I always remember, and I think that that everyone really appreciated about Allyship in Action, there were a lot of virtual events, right? There were a lot of virtual discussions. Ad we coasted some. There were so many going on. I tried to drop in as many as I could. Allyship in Action was, what's the right word? Like, I was going to say transparent. That's not quite it. It's more like candid or just, people were blunt. People were, I think it was something about the chat, the way you enabled kind of fearlessly enabled people to engage through the chat made the conversations so much more real and impactful than and, and so I guess just was that was that I know that you were really rushed for time to get that first event uh, up and running but was that a tactical decision that you said we're really going to let people have a live chat this isn't going to be one of those let's listen to some talking heads and then we'll all like nod solemnly and mm. and move on I mean, I mean
4: think about the idea of belonging and mattering. If people can't have a dialogue and just have to listen to one to, to many, that's not, you don't, if your voice can't be heard, if you have a thought or an opinion or a position on someone else's commentary, and you don't, and you're not, it's literally the opposite of our values, right? There isn't a chat function or a capability. We want people to feel like they have access to their voice and they're going to be seen when they
2: say something. And so the chat was just like electric. We were fucking Mm -hmm. blown away too. We were just like, Whoa. I mean, people were like texting me. There was one part where I was on another event, like an ad week was doing something. And so I was on that. And people were (laughs) texting me about the chat happening on your event. I was like, this is amazing.
5: (laughs) Yeah. I think one, one thing I would add is, you know, in anything, and anything what we do with with Palette Group, you know, in our personal lives, everything is sort of by design and, we we always wanted to do it with the community, not for the community. And so every in every touch point where you, you know, reach out to the people in the industry, creatives of like a form, registration, like all of this, we ask, what is it what where you need help? What is it what you what you can give and what you need help with. And so based on the responses that we get, we also very intentionally put the programming together. So from a content perspective, programming on the main stage topics, as well as the workshop topics, everything is sort of like, um, you know, connected. And um, the chat is definitely something where there is, like you said, there's so, there's such a fire energy. It's like magic. People are connecting. I think in our last, event, it ended up almost being like, um, you know, opportunity uh, sharing. So like, I've got this opportunity and here, connect with this person. You should meet this person. And now we have uh, a Slack channel of over 600 people. Um, That is amazing to see people come together and share their resources, share their thoughts, experiences. So that has been truly amazing. Yeah. So
3: with this particular event, because like, as you mentioned, like having those those candid conversations are vital for any sort of progress. Was there any conversations that surprised you that came out of that time?
4: It's, it's funny you ask that question. No conversation was surprising. You know, people stumbled. And the chat was like, ooh, and like, (laughs) you know, you know, and it was it was ugly. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't cute. Like, and people have to deal with that and learn a lesson. And we expected that. We also expected, you know, black people to show up and be like, y'all gotta stop making excuses because these the this the the answers to your questions already have been answered years ago. Mm -hmm. Just don't care enough. And so I think. The format and the experience was new, um, but the conversations weren't surprising. Right. And I guess that differently, the psychological, I think Laura Manessa said this the best about our platform. She said psychologically, she feels safe being challenged in this conversation. Like, oh, it was the first time she ever felt like, I'm going to have a challenging conversation and I feel comfortable doing it. So that was surprising that... You know, white folks at such a, a high level would be as vulnerable. Like a Mark Reed not only came to our, you know, summit once did a fireside chat, he came back again and reported back on updates. And so I think that is the most surprising element for me. I don't know if you have thoughts.
5: Um, yeah, I think it was, you know, sort of like the feedback, the response of um the individual people, um, because it felt like they never had. The agency or a platform or some sort of like space where they could share in a safe way um, what they were thinking, what they were experiencing at their workplace, at home. Um, so, hearing all these like individual voices was quite powerful. And also, you know, when, once we started reaching out to people, we got introduced to many more people and that person and that person. And so, we met so many incredible people that have all the resources they have done this work for many many years just like you said and never had the sort of exposure um you know to share what they have learned throughout their experience and and you know like life journey and so being able to create this platform and invite them on to either host a workshop and share um what they have learned during that process um or even on the main stage, I think that was, that was really amazing. And um, yes, sort of surprising that all of a sudden, you know, people actually interested in and wanted to hear more. My dad works in B2B marketing,
1: but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man.
2: And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be.
0: Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Critio. The future is an open internet where discovering your brand is a positive experience, made possible by Crit.io's commerce media platform. Learn more about Crit.io at crit.io.com/future. That's
2: c-r-i-t-e-o dot com slash future. So uh, the. I, I think it was the action part of ally- a lot of people were talking about allyship, <laughs> you know, after uh, after the the death of George Floyd, which is wild to think about. I had to, like, go check the dates because in some ways it feels like it was 10 minutes ago, <laughs> you know, and then and then other ways it feels like it was five years ago. And, you know, when you were talking about these events and I'm sitting here thinking, like, that feels so long ago that we were in these events. But it really wasn't. I mean, we're still in this very short timeline and I feel like there was a lot of talk early on and what really set your organization apart is this focus on action and then also being honest about allyship. You know, I say this as, as a white guy who's very opinionated and, and uh, you know, happy to, to discuss those opinions publicly, especially living in Alabama uh, where, you know, it's, uh, it, it's important for, for uh, you know, white folks especially to speak up on those issues but allyship is a it's a complicated topic, I guess is the polite way to put it. Um, and you know how it is, it's like when when someone says, Oh, that that person's an ally, they can mean that in a lot of different ways, including very sarcastically. Right. <laughs> so tell us about like that that initial focus on putting allyship on the front. And you know, did you did you anticipate that some people would to your point about how long White folks in leadership have had to address these issues and simply chose not to. Do they deserve a real place in the conversation uh, as allies? And how, how did you kind of walk that balance of making that a part of it without giving them a free pass to be like, yes, I also oppose police violence against black Americans? It's,
4: that's uh, funny because Stephanie and I and the whole crew, we like to call the community allyship army. You know, and at first it was truly like, let's make sure we get the C-suite leadership involved. And then we realized that our collective individual voice was stronger than these individuals at the top. You know, if the workplace is genuinely gonna be safe, it isn't, it, it, the CEO is a part of establishing a culture. However, it's the individuals that step into these boardrooms and step into these meetings and step into these Zoom rooms that have the individual capacity to understand their role and responsibility as an ally, as we are calling the leadership to do. And so the idea of allyship is rooted in the idea that you need to understand your identity. You need to contextualize what that word means to you as a person in your lived experience, in the workplace, and in your everyday life. And that's where the idea of allyship and action is sort of birthed from.
5: Yeah, it really starts off with yourself. I think, um, you know, allyship is, to your point, it became such a big buzzword and it gets lost in between now. Right. But what does it actually mean? And I think it really starts with yourself um, and it is your job to really do the inner work, like go back to your childhood and think about where have you experienced privilege, right? Like as a white woman, where have I experienced white privilege and just get really present to these moments in, in life and time and think about what you could have done. And, um, it's just like action, action, uh, over intention is like the most important thing. Um, but it really starts with yourself. That's why we sort of during the Allership and Action journey since 2020, we sort of, you know, had lots of like Zoom calls, Amy Bennett and us too, which is like, how do you want to move forward? Is it really for the C-suite or is it for, you know, the junior strategist? Is it for um, anyone in our community that we want to Help get the right tools and and find out about your your role as an ally. And so um we went back to yeah, we hear for the for the um the community. the community, the individuals.
2: Yeah, I think there's there was such a stark difference. And I don't know for you being inside of it, much less being the ones coordinating it, how much you could really see that difference. But I think for those of us who were attending as many conversations and as many events, yours stuck out so so distinctly and felt so organic. And and I think your point about the junior strategist, right? Those are, to me, the most important people in this industry. I think the folks who are just now getting into their first leadership roles or they're just really setting out on a path. And they're thanks to organizations like yours, I think a lot of folks have become more confident to, to say, to speak their worth and to really talk about the role and the influence they should have. Agencies, mm-hmm. And marketing and everybody is notoriously top down, right? And it's just like when I got into advertising, it was very much these are the worshipped gods of the industry, like all white. And, you know, and then that's they they can do no wrong. And of course now the entire pyramid's been turned upside down. And I felt like that there was nowhere that was more obvious than an allyship in action. So tell us those first those first few um events were uh, really high energy. They were very urgent. You know, there was that that absolute urgency that really came across. How have you built on that to keep to keep going? Has it been hard because Palette Group has also been exploding, and you're getting so much great work? Uh, it feels like you your lives could be pulled in a million different directions. How how do you keep going on Allyship in action? It's
4: definitely tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not easy. Yeah. You know, it's we're constantly trying to figure out our our role in this space, right? Because like, Stephanie and I didn't sign up to be and run an anti-racism platform. Like, we don't even know what that means for us. We just are here to like run and operate an agency and create space for creatives that, you know, want to belong and matter. And Inherently in that is the idea and rooted in allyship and action, right? The more we are embracing the concept of allyship and action and its ethos, the better our agency will grow and develop more healthily. And we're just super fortunate to have like advisors like Laurel, uh, Laurel Coronetti from Giant Spoon as a Weldon and like Nancy um, Hill. And we're just super grateful to like have community to like help support the direction and the trusting partners like Bennett and Amy, to design what this thing looks like. It's, it definitely takes the allyship army to make this thing happen um, so we can have the mental and emotional physical uh, space to scale our agency.
2: Nancy Hill is such a great example, too, of the kind of, of folks who I, I do like seeing elevated as allies because so much of what she does is behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many stories about what she does on a one-on-one basis. Uh, folks you know, may remember her from running 4As, um, but you know she's tireless out there. By, and I keep hearing from folks like, oh, yeah, she made time for me when no one else cared mm-hmm. what I was doing. Um, and so folks like that, it's so great because, again, I think... That was an interesting few months um, after after the death of George Floyd and seeing how agency leaders tried to get out there. And as as we all know, after a few months, a lot of them just went away. A lot of them were just like, you know what, I'm going to kind of climb back into my tower and and not these these conversations are complicated. There's one story if you're willing to share it, and we don't have to name names, but. I know we talked about this a lot as it was happening, is there was an agency CEO or founder who did get pretty blasted by the chat. Um, and unfortunately that was one I had to miss. I was I was in an ad week thing and I and I heard a lot about it. Uh, but at the time I think a lot of people are like, This guy's looking like an absolute fool and he's getting roasted in the chat. And part of me was like, Well, that's someone you're never gonna hear from again. He's just gonna be like, Oh, well, I tried. But instead, it sounds like that conversation continued, and and you actually helped turn it into kind of a growth opportunity about what happened
4: there. Uh, David Angelo <laughs> is our man's. He has like become such a dear friend. Um, you know, this, this this conversation is complicated and it's challenging. And you know, in that space we were in in that moment, he just you know, he just said what he said, and it was challenging for him to see what the wrong in how he was showing up and the space he was taking up and for us and for me i see that as an opportunity to build a bridge because it's very clear what the challenges are right and how i can potentially support that person and that's true allyship right is to see you know what 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 someone needs in a space when they're in the most troubling area of their of their lives like this is a a space where he doesn't know what like up or down like he's never been in this position where everyone's like you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong and for us to be able to come to him and be like hey man i don't want to make you wrong here i just want to ensure that like we are able to establish a relationship where you feel comfortable enough where we can have a conversation on and, and develop a relationship where you can understand one day how you were wrong in taking up space the way you did. And, you know, David is one of our key advisors and, like, mentors as at Allyship in Action and, you know, the agency. You know, he's literally become, like, one of our dear friends. You know, we went to his birthday I love party. That. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know yeah. his wife and his kids. You know, it's like he also donated $100,000 to Allyship in Action.
2: <laughs> like, huge I, Huge support. I feel like we live in such a time of... For, I've been thinking about this a lot lately that the biggest thing I think we've lost from uh from being remote through this entire experience right from being all all being isolated these last few years these are conversations that if you have them in person, if you're sitting down with people, you can make mistakes, you can stumble over your language, and they'll help correct you they'll help you learn and I mean we as humans you know need to be having those conversations. And those are much harder conversations to have in public, to have on Twitter, because, you know, it's like you can say one thing on Twitter and get it wrong because of, of ignorance, basically, because of not knowing better and really get put on blast, right, by people who don't know you and people weren't weren't part of that conversation. And I, I like the accountability of that. But the downside is, to your point, some folks, there are conversations you could have about, hey, listen, that's you're kind of falling into a, a pretty standard trap here of, of privilege or, you know, and I think about how many people, especially women, uh, had those conversations with me over the course of my life. Like, I'll say something about, I don't get why that's a big deal, you know, or I don't understand why it's any different than what I did. And they would be like, here's, here's why it's different. <laughs> and those are tougher conversations to have when you're not physically next to each other and you're, put, you're having them often in a public forum. Where you can, you know, if you do get it wrong, which you're likely to, there's going to be folks there to call you out. So, yeah, just I think that you, you two helped facilitate conversations and then to follow up with folks like that instead of just saying, like, oh, well, let's not invite that guy back again. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. No. <laughs> he's genuine. So, what's he's a great dude filled with lots of love and like, you know, we love him dearly as well. So,
2: so w- let's talk about the future uh, before we wrap up here. Um, uh, yeah. Do you have a, kind of a blueprint in your mind or has it just been such a roller coaster ride of this past year of growth where it's hard to know where you see allyship in action going? Um, I guess what's your what's your vision for it over this next year?
5: Yeah, it's still it's still a lot like learning by doing for us, especially since, you know, we don't really have any control over our lives with Omicron and like still being very much remote. And um, we are, you know, still putting our heads together uh, and think about what does the future look like this year and beyond for the next three years. And we are very much committed to continue allyship and action um and in in a certain shape and form that is you know sort of uh doable for especially the four of us as partners since you know we have an agency to run uh amy is uh, an amazing freelancer uh bennett has its own company um so it's it's a lot to juggle but we are definitely committed to continue we have the army behind us that um, you know, reach out to us and ask what's going on. I'm ready. I'm ready to like do this again. And so this is super energizing for us and, and really keeps us going too. Like this is so energizing. Um, so yeah, I think you will will definitely see more events coming up in this year and we'll see what, what's happened next year. Hopefully, maybe in real life Irand. We'll see.
2: <laughs> well, you probably got five or six pallet offices to open <laughs> over the next few months. So it's going to be busy. Uh, thank you both so much, Steffi, Nate. Uh, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, as folks can probably tell, I'm a huge fan of you personally. Uh, I am infinitely appreciative like so many people in this industry for everything you've done over the last uh, year and a half plus months. Um, and so thank you. Thank you both so much. And thank you for making time for us.
5: Appreciate it. Thank you, David.
2: Thanks, David. Appreciate you our theme music is by home uh this week's episode was produced by al manarino and edited by lane McGibney. Uh, if you haven't already please leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts uh those reviews mean a lot to us personally and they help new listeners discover the show for ad week i'm david greiner uh you can reach the same time at podcast at adweek.com podcast at adweek.com and we will chat next week